Morning, everybody. It's great to see you all out this morning. And my name is Jeff. And joining me this morning to help teach the lesson are JD, our uh, operations administrator, and Adam Geringer, our next gen director. Um, today, we're in the fourth and final week of our lesson series entitled Fully Functioning Followers Give. And our focus verse for this lesson series are words that were penned by the Apostle Paul. It's up on your screens. Uh, let's all recite it together. Here we go. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now here at Good News Gathering, when we use that phrase, fully functioning followers, give, what's represented in this verse is exactly what we're talking about. It says, therefore, in other words, because of what Christ has done for us, we stand firm. In other words, we're not knocked off our feet by what's going on in the world around us. We're not moved off course by every new religion that comes along, whether it's a different faith system or it's the pseudo-religions of atheism or science that our culture has become so enamored with over the years. We're not moved. Our faith is not shaken by these kind of things or by opposing points of view. Instead, we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We serve. Why is that? Why do we do that? Because we're earning God's favor? No. Because we're racking up enough points to deserve to go to heaven? No. Because we're hoping for more stars in our crown? No. Fully functioning followers give because of what Christ did for us on the cross. In other words, we serve out of, out of a heart of love for him. And because we know that what we do for him and when we serve others, our labor is not in vain. It will produce fruit. It will have a positive result. Now, we may not see those results. We may, but that's not guaranteed. But God promises that our labor for him will not be in vain. Now, today's lesson is entitled Sweet Spot. And during this series, we've been discovering truths about service from four guys who played a support role in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul, here's this guy who was instrumental in helping the early church fulfill Christ's call to spread the good news all across the world. He was a man who helped push Christianity beyond the Jewish community into the world at large. He was also a man who planted churches all across the Roman Empire from the Middle East to Europe, all the way to Rome itself, and some scholars even believe he reached Spain. Paul is a monumental figure in the history of Christianity, writing more books of the Bible than any other, or more, more books of the New Testament than any other writer. But as we've learned during this series, Paul did not act alone. He could not have achieved what he achieved by himself. Throughout his 30-some-year ministry, he had a supporting cast, a team, people that worked with him, encouraged him, built on his strengths, and, and covered up his weaknesses. Each of these four guys had their own unique skill set, their own talents, their own abilities that they brought to the table, strengths 
that rounded out Paul's ministry and heightened its effectiveness exponentially. Each of them had their own sweet spot, an area of service that fit them perfectly, a ministry that synced up with the ministry of the Apostle Paul in a way that God could really use. In the first week of the series, we, we talked about a guy by the name of Ananias who took a major leap of faith and shared the good news with this guy that was then known as Saul, who later became Paul. At the time Ananias reached out to him, he was persecuting the church. Then we, then we talked about Barnabas in the second week. Here was the epitome of a team player, a guy that constantly encouraged other people to step up and begin to use their gifts. And then last week we looked at Timothy, a young man who jumped in to serve wherever and where, whenever needed, who grew into being a very effective pastor and teacher and leader. Now today we're going to be learning from Luke. And he is perhaps the most obscure and shadowy figure that we have covered so far in this series. And some of you that are familiar with your Bible may be thinking, well, Jeff, Luke, Luke wrote one of the Gospels. I mean, he wrote one of the four biographies of, of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And not only that, but he also wrote the book of Acts, which is the history book of the early church. In fact, if you look at the New Testament alone, he wrote nearly 25% of the New Testament. So how can we say he's obscure? Well, it's true. Without Luke's books, there is a lot we would not know, a lot of detail that we wouldn't know about Jesus' life, and a lot of things that we wouldn't know about the beginning of the early church. Luke is how we know anything about Ananias and Barnabas and most of what we know about Timothy, because he wrote about them in the book of Acts. But nowhere, and this is fascinating, nowhere in either Luke or Acts does Luke ever mention himself by name. He gives no indication that he ever preached a sermon, ever taught a lesson, ever led a ministry, ever pastored a church, or ever baptized anybody. It's just not there. In fact, the only way that we actually know he co-labored with Paul are three brief references that Paul makes to him in some letters that he wrote to other people. The early church identified him as the writer of these two books. And also, and this is fascinating, he is believed to have been a Gentile who was converted to, to Christianity through the church in Antioch. If, in fact, he was a Gentile, then he is the only non-Jew to write a book in the Bible. And here he is, writing 25% of the New Testament. Now, his writing indicates that he began traveling with Paul during Paul's second missionary journey, which lasted from approximately 50 to 52 A.D. And if you look at that, if you look at that chart on the front of your outline that kind of highlights Paul's life, you see that you see when that second missionary journey happened. And they carried the good news all the way from the Middle East, from Antioch to Turkey, and then into Europe to Athens, which was the intellectual capital of the world at that time. And Luke remained with Paul until his execution in approximately 67 AD. 
Now, these missionary journeys were long, typically lasting two to three years, one of them, the third, lasting probably somewhere in the neighborhood of four years. Moving from town to town in unfamiliar territory, unsure of what kind of reception that they would receive when they rolled into town. And even though they came bearing the good news of God's love, they were often met with imprisonment, arrest, physical abuse. Paul recounted the persecutions that he suffered during these missionary journeys in a letter he wrote to a church in Corinth. And he said this, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, he was whipped five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And as if the persecution entailed in his missionary journeys wasn't bad enough, Paul also struggled with what most scholars believe was a physical ailment that plagued him throughout his ministry. He wrote this, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, Paul never actually tells us what this thorn in the flesh was. Scholars have conjectured because of other things he writes in some of his letters that he had a problem with his eyes or that he was epileptic. Fact is, nobody knows for sure, but one thing seems obvious. When you think about what Paul endured, if there was one thing Paul needed on his missionary journeys to keep that going, he needed a doctor. He needed a doctor. Enter Luke. In his letter to the church in Colossae, Paul describes Luke as the beloved doctor. See, Paul needed a doctor, a person trained and skilled to treat his wounds and whatever this physical ailment was that he had that that plagued his ministry. And 2,000 years later, you and I and the church all around the world need Luke, a doctor, a man trained to take medical histories, a man trained to examine patients to gather evidence and then provide us with careful, factual histories of Jesus' life and the birth and growth of the early church. Not hearsay, based on rumors or unsubstantiated or unverified tales, but facts, evidence, truth. As he wrote in his introduction to his biography of Jesus, he said this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Notice he focused on eyewitness testimony 
carefully examined by him, the doctor. His writing appears to indicate that he personally interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Peter. As a doctor, his book focuses on, the, on Jesus' compassionate ministry and on his healings. Luke found his ministry sweet spot, that area of service that fit him perfectly and matched his education, his training, and his skill set. Paul needed a doctor. You and I, 2,000 years later, we need Dr. Luke's attention to detail and his ability to gather and record a factual history. Just as Luke had a ministry sweet spot, a place where he was most effective, we too have a ministry sweet spot. So then for us, the question becomes, how do we discover that sweet spot? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you. See, we discover our ministry sweet spot by first recognizing that there is a ministry for everyone. Now, why is it that we don't necessarily recognize that as truth? Or, or why is it that we don't recognize that as being true for ourselves? If I really sit back and think about it, I could probably come up with a lot of reasons, but a few of them are uncertainty. Not necessarily knowing where we should serve. Or life circumstances. Busy schedule with our kids and their sports, or busy schedule with work. Maybe it's sickness of ourselves or a loved one that we have to take care of. A lot of times it's complacency, being comfortable with how our life is going or, or that life is just we're managing it just right. And so complacency sinks in. We may not actively choose that complacency, but, but we still find ourselves in it. So I've heard people say that they're, that they're too old or they're too sick to serve. Uh, or my favorite, I've heard them say that I've served my time, right? See, I hate to tell you this, but, but there's no retirement age when it comes to serving God. Like, there's just not, there's no 401k, like, I've served for this long and I've saved up enough to be able to take a break for this long. Like, there's none of that. Now, reality is, is that getting older or dealing with sickness or a sickness in a loved one that we have to take care of, that can change the opportunities that we have to serve. Like, maybe then it's an opportunity to get onto the prayer team. That we can lift up, use our ability to pray and the, and the wisdom that we've gained throughout our life to be able to lift others up in prayer. I mean, how powerful could that be? That the people who have been grown up in, in the church, grown up in, the, in scripture, grown up gaining wisdom through life experience and, and through the reading of that scripture. How powerful could it be that they're the ones lifting up our marriages that are struggling, lifting up our jobs when we're seeking for them, lifting up our kids who are struggling with sickness? How powerful could it be to have those people guiding us in prayer? I also know that some people are afraid to serve because they might miss what's going on here in the Maid Auditorium. Let me just remove that concern by saying that no matter what service opportunity you get involved in, if it's out there, if it's, if it's in here, whatever it be, you will be fed and you will get the opportunity to see and experience what's happening in here and be fed by the teaching that is brought to you. Even if you're in my area of next gen, if you're back in a classroom, we have a, a rule that is serve one and attend the other. Twice a month, serve one and attend the other. That way you are being fed on a regular basis. I've also heard some people say that they're not worthy or that, that they're not in a mental or spiritual place right now to serve. Maybe it's because of, of something that they've done in their past, something that they feel guilt or shame about. I've, I've been there myself, so I understand it, but it, it's also not true. 
In fact, it couldn't be any further from truth. Now, it may not be appropriate for you to serve in certain ways. Like, maybe, you know, you shouldn't be a money counter if you've been having trouble stealing, right? Like, that's probably not that best opportunity for you. But, but we can still find a way to get you involved. Maybe that's something as simple as pushing a broom. Eric would love to have you going down a hallway pushing a broom. And I say that that's simple, but that's not really the truth. That doesn't really define it. it is, that is a good work, and it's important here at G&G because it is not only is it honoring to God, but it's cleaning a space that when people come into, they feel warm, they feel welcome, they feel cozy. And it's those initial feelings that they might have that helps them to feel a connection to this place. That maybe then builds a relationship with Jesus that then leads them to accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's important and it's vital for what we do here. So the first way that we discover our sweet spot is by recognizing and acknowledging that there's a ministry for you. But the second thing that we have to remember is that there's not only a ministry for everyone, but that you and I go about discovering our particular personal, specific, sweet spot for ministry as we serve, not before we serve. We discover our sweet spot as we serve, not before we serve. See, I think that's a little bit of a misconception, is that people need to have it figured out or know exactly what God's will for them is in the moment, and the reality is that's just not the case. You will probably not know the absolute best role for your service until you get out there and actually start serving in some way. I'm reminded of when I started playing football. I was eight years old when my parents first signed me up to play football, and there weren't many programs around here, and so they took me down to Mount Orb to play at Western Brown's program. And they, have, they had programs starting as early as four or five years old. So several, most of the kids, in fact, on my team had already played football on a team for years at, for some of them. I was playing on my first ever team, and I had no idea what position I wanted to play. And Dad played wide receiver in high school, so I was kind of interested in that. Uh, running back seemed kind of cool. So my coaches just tried me at a bunch of different spots. They played, they played me at cornerback and safety. Defense was clearly not my gig. Um, and then my first actual game, my first actual game, I played tight end. It took several practices and a lot of work until I settled into playing quarterback, which ended up being my football sweet spot. I never, for the next 15 years, I never played another position with any consistency. But see, it took a little time to figure it out. It's quite the same with service. You get out of the seats and you try something. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Maybe it fits you. Maybe it doesn't. You see, then another opportunity comes along, and you get the chance to try that. Ultimately, more service means more opportunities. And in the process, you learn a ton about yourself, what you're good at, what you're not. You you learn a ton about the people that you're serving with, and you begin to figure out what is my best fit. Now, it's clear from the introduction to the book of Acts that Luke wrote his biography of Jesus first. So he wrote Luke before he wrote Acts, because he opens Acts with this statement. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now, if you flip your outline over to the front again, if you look at that timeline of Paul's life in ministry, scholars believe that Luke wrote both 
Luke and Acts, both of those books, somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D., approximately 30 years after Jesus returned to heaven and about probably somewhere around five years before Paul died. Now, why does that matter for our discussion today? What difference does that make? Well, if Luke joined Paul on his second missionary journey, that journey lasted from 50 to around 52 AD, then these books were actually written about a decade after he started serving with Paul. Now, think about that for just a moment. What other duties he performed as he served with Paul, we just simply do not know beyond probably medical attention. But he traveled and served for 10 years before making his greatest contribution to the cause of Christ, writing those two books that have impacted millions across the centuries. So what, what can we learn from this? Quite often, it takes time, it takes effort, it may, may for you take experimentation to discover what your sweet spot in ministry is. Now, we illustrate this, and we illustrate what many people experience in ministry with this diagram that's up on the screens. And those, those boxes at the top with the X's in them, think of those like stands at a, at a playing field, okay? And those X's represent people that are sitting in the stands watching what's going on on the field. Now, these are people that haven't yet gotten involved in the game, But when they do decide to get out of the stands and into the game, they may try a particular ministry. They jump in, but after a while, they may decide that that ministry is really not for them. Maybe they feel like they're better suited for something else. And the cool thing is that's okay. And it's okay to try different things. And maybe they try something else, or maybe they go on from there to try something different. If you're like me, it may take four or five different ministry opportunities before you really find your sweet spot. In fact, my first ministry opportunity was teaching fourth and fifth grade boys in vacation Bible school. I did that for one week, okay? Then Cheryl and I were asked to start a youth group for junior high kids. We did that for about a year or so. Then I got moved up to high school and worked there for about 10 years. Then I got asked to teach an adult Bible school class, and I did that for 12 years. And then we started Good News Gathering, and I've been at that for the last 21. Finding your ministry sweet spot is really a process of self-discovery. It's about figuring out how God has uniquely shaped you for ministry. And one of the things that I think is most important is when you and I understand that we were shaped by God for service. I mean, the Bible is clear. God created us, and he created us for a very particular reason. We are to serve him. I mean, if any of you walked in in, in this room this morning with the question like, what's the meaning of life? There it is. God made you to serve him. That's it. Serve him. Serve other people. That's what we're here for. And when he made us, when he made, made each and every one of us, he built inside of us a particular shape, which is our design for service. 
And that word shape is an acrostic. And we, we dive in depth into this in class 301. So this is my shameless plug, okay? Come to 301, all right? It's a really fun class. You learn a ton about these five things that we're going to talk about. But you also learn a lot about yourself, it's the class 301 is coming up. The next one is coming up on October 27th, immediately after second service. We feed you. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to enjoy yourself. You can sign up for the class on your connect card right now if you want to. So if you got your connect card, you can, you can flip it over to the back. You can see, I want to sign up for class 301. You can check that or you can, you can sign up for it through the app. Um, and we have, we have the Connect card online there as well, and you can sign up for that. So that's my shameless plug. Please come to 301. You're going to learn a ton about this and about yourself. But the S in shape, right? The S in your particular shape for how God wired you up to serve is your spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul dives into the topic of spiritual gifts and how each one of us are called to serve. We are made for this. This is why we're here. And he says this, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities that the Spirit gives us, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we all serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. Now, here's the point. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians is that each believer, at the time of their conversion, receives the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit begins to come inside of them and live within them, and the Spirit shows up in our lives in the form of these spiritual supernatural giftings that God uses to empower each individual Christian to serve God and to serve others. Now, there are different gifts, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but God alone is the source of them all, and this is really important for us to understand. When the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, he will, he will empower us in unique ways that are individual to us, but those gifts are for God. God provides them, And God expects us to use them on behalf of him and others. This is the point of the spiritual gifts. But right there at the end of verse 7, Paul tells us what the gifts are for. He says this, the point of all the gifts. A spiritual gift is given to each of us, circle this phrase, so we can help each other. So we can help each other. The purpose of the spiritual gifts is for us to be able to serve God and to help one another. The point is that you and I as believers are given these gifts by the Holy Spirit to build one another up. That's, that's another translation of that, that same passage. So, so the question you may have at this point is, what are the spiritual gifts? What are the, what are the different kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit can empower us to serve? Up on the screen are a list of, of some of the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. These are not all of the ones that are mentioned, but these are just some. Serving and helping, teaching, administrating, giving, leadership, mercy, wisdom, encouragement, intercessory prayer, which means prayer on behalf of somebody else, faith. Now, I just want you to ask you, I want to ask you to do something. Just just look up at that screen and look at those different words and ask yourself this question. Do I see how these different things could benefit other people? 
Do I see how if a whole bunch of people had all of these different kinds of gifts and they all went to the same church, how, how all of these gifts might be helpful to other folks around me? I mean, I look at my own life. I know that I have personally benefited from people who gave to me from the wisdom that they have. Kept me from making bad decisions or, or guided me on the right path because they had wisdom to share. I know that I personally have benefited from people who have led me well and showed me how to lead others, who have prayed for me. Perhaps you in your life. Maybe there have been people that have given generously to you, whether financially or just of themselves. Perhaps there have been people who came alongside you at a point of need and, number one, they served you or helped you in some way. You see, that's what the spiritual gifts are for, to help each other. And while it's really hard to say because he never actually wrote them down, I think it's quite possible and very fair of us to say that Luke expressed a very strong faith. Think about it. He's traveling around the world, going to places he's never been, trying to help Paul share the gospel with people he's never met who live lives that are totally different than his. What kind of strong faith would he have had to have to to give himself to those kind of journeys, to put himself in those kind of situations, and to deal with the suffering that came with it? I think it's also fair for us to say that it's quite possible that he expressed gift number one, serving and helping. I mean, he spent all of those missionary journeys assisting and blessing and serving alongside Paul. All the while, we have no record of any big glorious experience that he had in the process outside of just the serving that he did. Think about it, guys. Every one of us who believes has been given at least one gift that we can use to build up others and to serve God. And shameless plug is back. You can find out more about yourself and these gifts in class 301. So I would encourage you to sign up. The, uh, the second thing that, you guys, or that makes up your shape is your H, the heart. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 says, As slaves of Christ, do the will of God from your heart. As slaves of Christ. Stop right there. Do you realize that that's what you are, a slave to Christ? That make it, it kind of feels a little uncomfortable even hearing that, right? And, and I'm not talking to those, if you haven't accepted Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're not following him. I'm, I'm talking to those who have. If you've accepted Christ and you've chosen to follow him, that's what it says you are, as a slave to Christ. Now, of course, it's not a forced slavery because ultimately we have chosen to accept him. We have chosen to follow him. But once we have made that decision to follow him, if we truly do, we truly follow him, then we should act as though we are slaves to him by doing his will. From your heart, do the will of God. I love people. I don't know why exactly. That sounds terrible, but I love people in my whole life. Um, I've just had this passion for people. It even makes me think of when I was little, my mom always 
well, my mom's always told me a story about when I was little. I was a toddler, and we had a cousin named Shorty. Shorty would come over, and Shorty was smelly. He never showered, never bathed. In fact, I remember hearing stories of my dad forcing him to shower. Like, he was a smelly, and for whatever reason, I would run to him, just open arms, and have him pick me up. And my mom would be like, no, slow motion, like she can't stop it. And then afterwards, she would say how smelly I would be the rest of that day. For whatever reason, I've just always loved people, getting to know them building a relationship with them, people of all kinds of stories and varying backgrounds. But the thing I've always found most interesting is how every one of them has a different heart. They have different passions, different desires, different things that get them excited and make them tick. This summer, I, I actually got to learn a new word. I know this is random, but a Japanese word. It's uh, ikigai. And uh, I'm, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, but ikigai, it kind of means what, what gets you up in the morning. Like, what, what do you wake up for? What are you excited about? What is your passion and your desire? What is your heart? Revelation seventeen seventeen says this, God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose. You realize that passion and that desire that you have in your heart, that thing you're excited about and that makes you tick, that that was put there on purpose by God for his purpose. Therefore, we should use those passions and desires for his purpose, right? I mean, ultimately, it's, it is still our decision. Like I stated earlier, you know, that's one of the things that's so amazing about our God is that, that even though we've accepted to follow him, and as it says here that we are to act as though we are slaves to Christ, he still gives us that option to choose to follow him and to, to serve him with our heart. So what will you do with yours? A third thing that makes up your shape or your abilities your abilities. And this is often one area where people struggle to recognize that they even have abilities that they can use to serve. I've talked to a lot of people that are like, well, I don't, I don't know what I could do. I, I, don't really have any, I don't really have any skill that you guys might like. And that's just, that's just not the case. But when you think about it, on the surface, Luke might have even thought the same thing. Right? Like, hey, I'm a doctor. Like, how's that going to bring somebody to Jesus? Like, okay, I, 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 I can write some stuff. Like, how does that help? What's the point? I mean, what, what good are these abilities that I have? But, but think about the life he lived. By helping Paul, by serving him, by quite possibly taking care of his numerous injuries and ailments, the reality was he was making it possible for Paul to go share the gospel in all of the ways, in all of the places that he did, thereby impacting hundreds and thousands of people with the message of Christ because Luke kept Paul propped up. You think about his, you think about his writings. Down the course of the human centuries, millions and literally billions of people have been impacted by the things that Luke wrote. And the reality is all of us have abilities that can help us serve others. God placed them inside of us. It may be something obvious like singing or playing an instrument or being able to teach, or it could be something that's slightly less obvious. I mean, think about it. Around here, if you can make a good cup of coffee, we can use you. If you can serve... Even if it's like Adam said earlier, by pushing a broom down the hallway, or you can rock a child when they're having a moment, right? 
You can serve. The Apostle Paul makes a fascinating statement, and it's just, it's just down the way from the first passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that we read earlier. He says this, The body is not made up of one part, but of many. I mean, think about yourself. Just think about your own physical body right now. You're not all one thing. You'd look really weird if you were. Right? You're not all one thing. You're, you're a collection of a lot of different things. And, and he compares us and the church to this idea of a body. And he says this, Now, if the foot should say, Well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In other words, if the foot was like, yeah, I can't, I can't pick things up like the hand can, so I'm, I'm, I'm really not that important. I guess I, don't, I guess I don't count. I guess I'm not part of the body. Paul says, well, that wouldn't mean that it actually stops being a part of the body. He said, if, you're, if your ear all of a sudden said, well, because I can't see like the eye, I'm just not that important, so it, I guess it don't matter. It wouldn't, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. In fact, this past week, I talked to somebody who had, a, who had a, a very close loved one just out of nowhere lose the ability to hear overnight. Literally woke up in the morning, could not hear the next day. You think that'd get your attention real fast? You see, the reality is every part of the body matters, and every part does its own little individual thing. And so, so many people will look at themselves and they'll say things like, well, I can't teach the Bible or I can't get up on stage and sing, so I really don't have anything that matters or anything to offer and nothing could be further from the truth. Those are just some of a thousand different ways that people serve around here. But Paul goes on. He, he says this, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? I mean, if, if, if all we could do was see I mean, that's kind of important, right? Our vision's a good thing. But if that was all we could do, how messed up would we be? He said, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? That would make no sense. That, we, 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 we wouldn't be useful. In, in the same way, a lot of times people look at themselves and say, well, I don't have these very obvious things that the church needs. I can't teach the Bible or I can't sing. So that's, that, I mean, what would, why would that matter? Why, why would my service matter? And the reality is if everyone was a singer, where would the teacher be? If everyone were a teacher, who would take care of the kids? If everyone wanted to take care of the kids, who would take care of the physical building? The reality is every person and their individual abilities matters. But here comes the main point. Paul says this, In fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And make no mistake, he's not just talking about our physical body at this point. He's talking about people within the church. God knows that the church body as a whole, needs all different kinds of people with all different kinds of abilities, but also, and this is the P there on your outline, it takes people of all different kinds of personalities. People of all different kinds of personalities. You see, think about it. If everybody had the same abilities, the church would not be able to do loads of things that it can do. But similarly, if everybody had the same personality, the church would be hamstrung just as much. I mean, think about it. The church doesn't need everyone to be an extrovert. 
It needs introverts too, like so that something gets done besides talking, right? right? The church cannot be comprised solely of driven, strict, routine, timeline people. Why? Because every now and again, somebody needs somebody to just sit down and have a cup of coffee with them and slow down. The reality is the church doesn't need to be comprised solely of emotional people who feel their way through every decision. God bless us, right? We need thinkers. We need data people too. The point is that all of us have individual personalities and individual abilities, and God placed us all here together for the purpose of using those abilities to bring Him praise and to help each other. The final piece that makes up your shape is your E, which is experiences. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 27 29 says, Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? So each of you have your own experience, things that you're good at or that you have learned. Not all of us are apostles. Not all of us are prophets. Not all of us are teachers. We don't have those experiences. Not all of us can do miracles. It would be awesome if we could, but not all of us can. Well, Luke was the same way. He had his own experience. That was the experience of being a physician and a doctor. Like Jeff talked about earlier, Luke had the experience of following and assisting Paul through his ailments, uh, through his trials. And through that, he was able to help Paul continue the work that God had chosen for him. Now, maybe for you, maybe you work with your hands. Maybe you're a carpenter or a mason or a construction. There are many projects throughout G&G, maintenance that uh, needs to be kept up here at G&G that we could use your help with, but also even Hillsboro, not as usual, our opportunity to go out into the community and serve the community. Imagine if you have that background of using your hands, how much good you could do for someone's home and helping them restore it to the way it should be. But it doesn't just have to be about your profession. It could be about life experience. Maybe you've been a first-time mom or dad before, and you're looking in the church and you see a young couple who's about to have a baby, or you see one with a young baby. Imagine the wisdom that you can bring to them and the help that you can give them, letting them know that they're not alone, that they're not the only ones who have gone crazy on sleepless nights, that you know what they're going through. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's been through depression and anxiety that you can fully understand how deep and dark those times can be. That you can be there for someone and, and that they can know that it's not just something that we get over, but it's a fight and it's a struggle that we go through together. Maybe it's a sickness, something you've dealt with in your past, uh, like a tragedy within your family. And as Jeff has said before, sometimes your biggest hurts can be your best ministry. Maybe it's cancer. My, uh, my best friend, uh, Joey, the, he's the best guy that I know. We grew up together. He was the best man in my wedding. Uh, he's one of those guys that just kind of seems to have it all, you know, like he's a good-looking guy. He's a good athlete. Um, he's what I consider to be the most intelligent individual that I know. Um, he's one of those people that just everyone loves, right? Well, three or four years ago, I, I got a phone call from him. I was actually out at Buller Springs Christian Camp. I was about to lead a retreat for high school students, and uh, he let me know that he'd been diagnosed with stage four melanoma cancer, that it was in his liver and his kidneys and in his colon, that he had a bunch of tumors, the biggest one being 16 centimeters in size. Shortly after that, I went over to his parents' house to see him, and you could tell things weren't good. 
He had lost a ton of weight. I mean, he was skin and bones. You could see in his face. looked like he had aged multiple years. He had lost the hair all over his body. And I was looking at my friend, this friend that I love, and it was like staring death in the face. And I remember asking him, you know, how are you dealing with that? Like that the end, in a way, is so close. And what he said amazed me. He said, I see this as a win-win situation. And I'm like, cancer, really? Like, stage four melanoma cancer, you see this as a win-win. And he just said, if God chooses to heal me, then what a miracle that would be. And imagine the good work that he could do through that story. And if not, then I get to be with him. Like I said, that was three or four years ago. And I'm glad to say that Joey is still alive and he's very healthy uh, they found some trial treatment, and it seems to be working. The melanoma, he still has melanoma cancer. He still has the tumors, but it seems to be working, and they believe that this can give him a, a long and good life, even if the cancer never fully goes away. Joey is literally a walking miracle, and he's using his experience for good. He's doing work around Cincinnati and Dayton areas where he's sharing his story with people. He's loving on them, and he's helping them to figure out that they have a story too and that they can use it for good as well. You see, Joey is using his experience for the glory of God and to help his people, and we need to figure out how to use our experiences in the same way. Earlier, J.D. talked about that you will discover your sweet spot as you serve, not before you serve. And that's kind of why this room's set up the way it is. That's why we've walked through this little bit of a ministry fair the last two weeks, is to help you to find your sweet spot. As Jeff talked about earlier, he, he alluded to the fact that it took him multiple steps to really find his sweet spot here at G&G, and we want to kind of get that first step for you. And so around the room, you see these different stations, and the back corner is the blue corner, and that's our next gen where you can serve anything, babies through high schoolers. And this back right corner, the red, is our G&G experience. Right here with green is our community and then in the front left here is our support services. You can see on the screen what enta- what's entailed in those different areas. Uh, but I encourage you, we're going to have a moment of worship that we can just praise God for who he is and the opportunities that he gives us. And I would encourage you after that, if you could, just spend a few minutes going and seeking out what opportunities we have available for you. If we could, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for an opportunity just to be able to learn a little bit about who you are and who you've called us to be. I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you for their hearts, the hearts that you have given them, and I ask that uh, you um, work in their hearts, that they would find ways just to be able to serve you, chase you, and serve the people that you love so much. Thank you for loving us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, this morning as we, as we prepare to close, we're going to sing two more songs, and while we do that, we want to we kind of do something a little bit special um, this morning, and that's this. One of, the, one of the, the realities that I think is so critical for us to understand is that not only did God make us to serve him, but inherent in that is he gave us the opportunity to serve him. Think about the God that made everything, the God that made the whole world, chose to give you a personal shape of his design so that you could be involved in the work that he is doing. How cool is that? And so what we're going to do this morning as we, as we close is we're going to sing two songs that really focus in on the goodness of God, how good he is, how kind he is, how loving he is. 
And we're going to offer you guys the opportunity to sing those. And I would just encourage you, especially if you are a person who is currently serving here at G&G, you're involved, you're, you're giving of yourself in service in certain ways, I want you especially to think through how grateful you are that God has given you the chance to be useful in his world and in his kingdom.